I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. I didn't realize. Wait, wait. So how many stocks do you have? Um, Pass. Like in your portfolio. All right. We're we recording now. I've got, yeah. I think I've got about 37 at the moment. I normally have between 35 and 39. And only only 21 away from the green wall. So that's that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back the new the black oh. the, the the new black theme on trading two and two really brings out the red. <laughs> <Doesn't> it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's only made mine a little bit more green. I don't know. You might have a fault there with your trading two on two. It's just why, a mine's fault gone somewhere. A, yeah, my, mine's gone a little bit more green recently. Like I don't know why the red's being brought out on your portfolio. <laughs> I think mine's gone a bit more green, but I'm also red green colorblind, so it's kind of hard to be very confident about this. Well, stocks that would is probably not the right game for you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to the uh, Playing Fussy podcast. Uh, today we're missing Zach. We don't know where he is. We're going to put out a missing persons report for him and figure out where he is. And uh, I'm already seeing that my. Um, my recording's not going well. This is not going to go right. Uh, but anyway, we'll carry on. <laughs> we'll carry on and get through it. Um, today, we want to... We'll, we'll update you a little bit on our portfolios because we're giving each other jibes because uh, basically you've got the two value investors here against the growth investor now. And obviously, at the moment, growth is taking a fucking beating. So... Um, I shouldn't have sworn then, should I? Doesn't matter. Obviously, t- growth is taking a massive beating, so we'll, we'll have a quick there. But we want to have a quick chat about uh, investing rules and popular investing rules that we that some of the pros talk about, and whether we agree or disagree with them. It's just something we've kind of come up with because we realised as time goes on, some of the investing rules of the past seem to not make sense, especially in today's market, and whether it's just you know whether it's just a blip and everything still means uh, what it should mean, you know, fundamentals, value and all that. But we'll get on to that in a bit. How, with with everything that's gone on this week, so we've had earnings week, uh, probably last week and the week before. Uh, everything did awesome for the, all the big growth stocks, but we had a lot of negative um, price, price action on, on these stocks as well. And the Dow just seems to be going up every single day um how are your portfolios because mine mine has just been doing really well i'm getting close to about 500 quid up just on the week uh, which is whoa that's so new to me i'm fully aware this might not happen forever uh but what's going on in the market now does anyone have a clue well i because i don't so in general, I've been going slightly the wrong way until today. Uh, I've been down a little bit each day for the last sort of few days, and things have turned around a little bit today for me. The main reason for that is that uh, pay attention and write this down. One of my biggest holdings is Kellogg's. Now is my time. Now is my time for <laughs> Kellogg's. Uh, we're up about seven percent today on Kellogg's, which is quite a lot when it's that kind of thing. Don't worry, it'll be back where it started again in two weeks or so because they actually report earnings then. But yeah, they um. <laughs> they report on the 11th, I think, and they decided to bring forward some guidance and say uh, it's gone well in Q1. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't normally do that unless you're pretty confident about that. So that's pushing me up a little bit and it's quite a big part of my portfolio. So that's kind of making the portfolio look slightly better than it would otherwise, put it that way. Yeah, the CEO was on CNBC today, I think, and he was, they like you said, they brought forward the guidance, which, which just means they're going to have a good usually means they're going to have a good earnings announcement, uh, but Kellogg's probably need that. So they, they, they kind of drum up a bit of support early before before earnings. That's quite a common one. Um, what about you, Steve? How, how, how's your portfolio doing? <laughs> I'm only prepared to talk about my crypto portfolio today. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, you've done really well on your Ethereum. That's got to have hmm. gone really well. Altcoins are driving. We'll talk about, maybe we'll talk about 
coins later because um actually andrew bailey we talk about andrew bailey who is the bank of england chair while he has talked about inflation today along with janet yellen and jerome powell in uh things are becoming fragmented and inflation might be happening they're all suggesting or they're going back on their word that inflation might be creeping in which has led to janet yellen saying oh we might uh we might increase uh base rates and uh also today andrew bailey also said that he might increase base rates and that is essentially why all the growth stocks are just tanking big big names peloton well that was down to its bad news really the peloton but etsy dropped 14 percent today just on really good growth news loads of loads of big growth stocks are, are just taking a beating but to bring it back to crypto andrew bailey said today crypto has absolutely no fundamentals and uh you are you should be let me try and find what he actually uh be up here uh prepared be prepared to lose all of your money i'm going to say this very bluntly again buy them if only you're prepared to lose all of your money because he says there's no fundamentals no intrinsic value that's what he says he says there's no intrinsic value but he does believe that it has extrinsic value which makes kind of sense we don't talk about the extrinsic value of uh, these stocks very often um which is essentially just how people feel how people feel about the cryptocurrencies and that's kind of what's driving everything at the moment sorry a bit, a bit of a tangent there but yeah there's been a lot going on uh in this week with uh stocks essentially value is outpacing growth at the moment i think the fangs are still going to do very well i don't think they should have taken the beating that they have uh some of them are still high cash flow growth businesses that are essentially compared to cash flow undervalued in my opinion um uh, i don't think they deserve the beating they take they've taken teledoc probably did that. i don't think they've really taken much <laughs> of a beating have they i think uh most of them are no, doing true. pretty fine i think one of the things you've realized is is well uh, as just looking at the market from from the thousand thousand yards is uh Google's, Amazon's, Microsoft's are all doing fantastically well. Um, mm. All the money that's gone in through stimulus has trickled away into their pockets. And as somebody looking objectively at the portfolio, you start to think to yourself, well, if all the money eventually ends up in Amazon, Microsoft's, or Google's pockets, why don't you just buy Amazon, Google, and, and, and you know, and that's what it looks like everyone's doing. So yeah yeah, yeah. It's i mean I, I referred to it as dropping like two percent and a lot of people were talking about oh don't hurt the fangs and i think netflix dropped a quite a bit more and it has done over the past couple of weeks but yeah you're right you're right it, they've they've gone down on the news but they haven't gone down in the same way that say yeah so so all the kathy wood spacks and stocks have kind of dropped about 50 percent off the top but the fangs have kind of just plateaued haven't they for a bit and that does show the confidence that the market has in in the top 6% of the S&P 500 right now um, in comparison to some of the more speculative type stocks. Like I love Teladoc, I really do. But uh, even to a point, I think Peloton's a great business. I just think they're overvalued. That's my opinion. However, there is a possibility if you take certain rules of investing that stocks such as teladoc and roku uh, peloton I'm trying to name some of the big the good high high quality salesforce that's another big one that i keep looking at i keep looking at salesforce and go this is a good company uh crowdstrike mm. as well this is a, these are good good SaaS companies and the these are going to be there in the future these are going to be the next fangs uh but they are really really expensive in my opinion Obviously, I, I would say Steve D. You probably wouldn't think these are so much uh, so overvalued as I, as I would explain them. But for, to justify that, because you can justify all these in different ways. So I would I would justify it based on cash flow and old timey value investing style stuff. But uh, the Motley Fool guys, you got to give us the five rules. There's five rules of investing that the Motley Fool guys go by. I don't know them off by heart, but I'm sure you do. So this isn't 
the Motley Fool itself. This is a this is a subsect of the Motley Fool. So to just give you a little bit of background beforehand, the Motley Fool is run by the brothers David and Tom Gardner. Um, David Gardner is a more speculative growth investor. Tom Gardner is a he's more of a value investor. Um, so what they did is they have their main picks. And then they have a subsection for, for each of themselves. And David's is called Rule Breaker Investing. Now, he, he has five rules that he the um, his investments absolutely have to tick um, before he'll buy them. And he, he has them, uh, well, they are essentially this. They have to be a top dog or a first mover in an important or emerging industry. They have to have a sustainable competitive advantage. They have to have shown signs of previous share price appreciation. Now, he calls this winners keep on winning. Um, he, they have to have good management and or smart backing. And they have to have a strong brand. Okay. Any so, there's a, so there's a lot to that there. I think the one that's probably universally accepted and probably two that are universally accepted are sustainable moat which is essentially what it says, right? Yep. S- sustainable moat. I think there I don't think there's a single person in the world that disagrees that having having a moat isn't a key essential part to a top FTSE FTSE uh, FTSE 100, yeah. One up FTSE 100, S&P 500. Uh <laughs> 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 That's just there. I think that's a bit of an in joke that we've all just agreed on there. Yeah, we'll <laughs> get gone. we'll get the FTSE 100 in the keywords gets more viewers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um the uh so so having a moat is probably one of those things and having good management is also a good thing but that's one that I disagree with. I would disagree uh with the premise or at least the way the wording of that is um because I think that's subjective. I think one manager of one company is probably very different to a manager type of another co- company and we've I, we touched on uh, me and Steve just touched on this very very quickly before we we went live, and um, I would say that Elon Musk is an excellent founder led. I don't like using Elon Musk. Elon Musk isn't a good example of this because I think Elon Musk is dangerous in his own way. I think while he is while he is extremely smart, I think while he he is extremely smart and exceptional um, innovator or whatever you want to fucking call him. Um, I think he really likes a bit of irony and uh, that is dangerous because eventually he might just get a bit impulsive one day and go, you know what? Fuck the world. Fuck this world. Dogecoin. Yeah, well, well, you know, he's loving the irony of having a Dogecoin as like the cryptocurrency of Mars and, uh, and even like the world right now. So I think one day, scarily, someone as successful as elon musk and someone so rattled in the head he might he might just one day go nah i'm I'm just gonna go no screw you all too many institutional investors in tesla screw you all i'm off and that's gonna really mess up that or spacex or whatever It, it just loves the irony so bad bad example Who's the who's the head of Netflix? I forgot his name. It's, uh, I went on that tangent then to try and give myself time to remember the head of Netflix. Yeah, that was quite a long time on what you consider yeah. to be a bad example. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, know. I, I was trying to give myself time to get uh, my my head around who the head of Netflix was because he's the found he's a founder led uh, uh, innovation type, and he's the he's a great example of of a uh, go on. Have you found it? <laughs> yes, because I couldn't get it myself, and I, th- I was thinking his name was John Hastings, but it's Reed Hastings. Reed Hastings, yeah, Reed Hastings, yeah. So he's a good example of a, a startup founder-led type manager or CEO who can take a company from startup to mature growth. But after these companies get to mature growth, they need a manager who can clip everything together, manage a balance sheet, manage like people with two bigger heads and different parts in different departments of the, of the, uh, of the business. And you need to, this is Naswath de Bodoran thing. He, he did a piece on companies should get old. They should, they should know their age. And eventually he goes, when he, when he gets to a certain point, 
these companies should have a manager who can do this and then when they're in their decay phase they should have a manager who can uh, get the best deal for the asset prices and stuff like that so it's about picking a time and i'm and i'm going in a long a long time so i do think like for at&t a john stanky type and we've talked about john stanky john stanky john stanky uh, like his type for at&t i think he's going to be very very good for the future of them uh whereas reed hastings is is good for that well the, the bit of color to that is that um the with max and spencer's so uh, max and spencer's was pretty much in the doldrums in the um sort of early well, late 90s and early 2000s and they brought in a new ceo to relaunch the the food part of Max and Spencer's, which is when you start seeing all those like sexy adverts with like mm. you know like cream being poured on meatballs and things like that, and basically <laughs> that that grew the yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. That was yeah, really that came to the head. Uh, um, it's a little bit different. Balls. Like, <laughs> this this is a Max and Spencer's creamy meatball. Did I let you remember the adverts? But uh, well, basically, I, I they brought in. I don't I don't they, remember they creamy meatballs who, exactly. <laughs> I don't remember creamy meatballs, but. That's a, that's a, that's another that's a dream we've had once I think I must but have yeah, dreamt I, that I, one yeah <laughs> but no, basically what happened is that they brought they brought somebody in to to relaunch that part of their business and then to grow it but what it caused is operational chaos in other parts of the business so they found that when the business got to a certain scale there started to be like shortages in food there were shortages in supply there was the clothes side was suffering so they needed to get rid of this CEO and bring in somebody who was more focused on operational. And those adverts went away. Those sexy meatball adverts all disappeared and it came back about the clothes. The clothes size started to do very well, but mm. the food part of the business started to fail again. So they, they really were swapping and changing CEOs because they didn't have mm. anybody who could bring in, who could run the clothes business and the food business, uh, you know, well is, is the problem. Yeah. They You've got a good point there. Cause I remember specifically when, uh, Marks and Spencer used to be the biggest clothing sale, sales. And uh, they, I remember them falling off the top, and that was very recent. And like you say, it was because they couldn't get their head around doing both. And that's hmm. just another British company problem, right? They just, can't, they just can't get big enough to employ two people who really know what they're doing that can be brought together by a central head. Whereas US companies can afford to do that, right? They, they generally mm. can or they want to do that or they understand that's how you do it. And British companies just seem to be left behind on that sort of thing. That's why Tesco's and everything can't get, can't get margins, but Kroger and all the rest of them can actually do quite well. And Costco, you know, Costco's invading the UK now. And like, these companies make money, but our companies can't. And they, it's, the same, it's the same business model, right? Fun Marks and Spencer's fact uh, for you. It's a kind of anti-Peter Lynch company, as far as I can see, in that kind of during the pandemic, it's about the only shop that I see that doesn't have a queue outside of it somehow. <laughs> so whenever I'm in a rush, yeah, I can just get straight into Marks and Spencer's or stand in a big long line outside Tesco's. Uh, so <laughs> when I'm, yeah, <laughs> that, Peter Lynch researching that's... my way around these kind of things, I think, short them. But What what Steve W is referring to there is, I believe, his uh, Peter Lynch's Dunkin' Donuts theory, which in 2000, 2000? yeah, it was 2000 recession. Uh, Peter Lynch, it might be 2000, well, it could be in the 1980s. No, it would have been 2000. Uh, Peter Lynch sat outside Dunkin' Donuts and watched during a recession how popular it was and basically went, I'm going to invest in them. Kind of hasn't worked this year on British supermarkets, though, because uh, Tesco has still taken a beating, even though it was probably quite popular. Uh, like All of them had queues outside them, and Tesco, as they got sold, yeah, as they got sold. So maybe it is a, maybe they've all been a bit anti-Peter Lynch, or the theory hasn't worked. So that's an interesting theory. I was going to ask you if there was any Peter Lynch theories that you'd go against, because... I can't think of any. I've tried to think of some because, but it seems to just make sense, right? Yeah, I think he's right in a way where he argues with a rule that a lot of other people have. So a rule that a lot of other people have is you have to have earnings growth or you have to have revenue growth or probably both or EBITDA growth or whatever your favorite metric is, growth. Uh, the numbers have to be going up reasonably well over 10 years. You, you're allowed to have a bad year. You're allowed to have bad two years, but they need to be going in the right direction. And as I understand it, Peter Lynch is, disagrees with that. I mean, what he goes for is a peg number. Um, so in theory, and I think this is right, a thing that he thinks here, but it kind of breaks a rule that a lot of people seem to have. Sven has this rule. Cameron Stewart has this rule. I imagine the Motley Fool guys have this rule. 
um, is that you have to have things that are going up. Uh, I think that's kind of wrong. I think as long as you're paying a low enough price for them, I don't really care whether the earnings are going to be flat. If you had a company that took £1 million and however it did it, turned it into £10 million just every single year and flung nine back at you and then took another one and then made another ten and the earnings never went up or down, I mean, you'd buy that for £2 million. Mm. Pretty clear. Yeah, I is, mean, you'd buy that at it, the right price. Yeah, this is still value investing. It's still um, essentially... Uh, how how much does how how much is the 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 cash generation worth and even though it doesn't go up and it doesn't grow how much how much would you pay for that cash and a very famous one that's been going around recently is you know if you see a company it's it's always good if you write it out but if you see a company that's making one dollar each year for five years it's it's worth five dollars and you'd be happy to pay four dollars for it because you're getting one dollar back and if you get a company that's but if you get a company that's all, uh, declining, so it's going from five, four, three, two, one, that company's still worth something. I mean, it is declining, and it's I would say more of a risk because I don't like seeing IBM right now, and I wouldn't look at IBM and go, actually, that's still worth four hundred million dollars. I'll still pay four hundred million dollars for it. So I think it's more risky. I think there is a bit of risk to it, and um, that's a very Michael Burry way of investing. Michael Burry uh, often invest in uh, uh, tangible butts. assets yeah cigarette butt sort of th- stuff so th- it is still a method of investing and arguably GameStop was his version of that um, it, that just went stupid though didn't it so there, there is that um, I don't I, I don't get Michael Burry he's a bit too smart for me so I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how to take him did, but did you see he's been uh, he's been he's, he's removed his Twitter account because the SEC he, have told him to stop talking about inflation yeah, 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 yeah. But they're talking about inflation now, so like, oh, how? Yeah, stop telling people that... the truth, Michael Burry. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't I mean... make that much noise. Not in comparison to fucking Elon Musk. Elon Musk is making stupid amounts of noise. Like, d- is that because they want the markets to go up and that's that? And you know, um, I, I, I did a bit of a conspiracy theory the other day on someone's podcast. I was talking. And I said, uh, this is a bit of a conspiracy theory, where. I think they want it to go up and they they have orchestrated it so they control the trigger. They have the trigger now to decide when everything goes up. And maybe, I mean, this is full-on conspiracy, but maybe once it gets to that point where they all decide, yeah, we've made enough money now, let's reset everything. And the, those, people know, um, those people will know when that's happening or when that's about to happen. But the rest of us, the retail we'll just get it taken off us. I know this is conspiracy theory type thing. Go on, go get your, go get your tinfoil, mate. Make yourself I know, hat. I know, I know, I know. But if, <laughs> do, does it not feel like that? Does it not feel with all of the information that we've got out there that something is being no, orchestrated? I think, the, I think there's always a less sinister uh, approach and I think the less sinister take is that um, the way to get re-elected is to try and keep the market stable and going up because everybody's pensions are getting bigger. People mm-hmm. who are retiring are retiring with a decent pension pot and that yeah. that's generally one of the market indicators. Um, yeah. And I think that is literally what they're trying to do. But I've got a question for you. Okay. Why are they so frightened to raise interest rates? That reason. That was that was the reason that I would say. I think that they are scared too early. So... Growth has gone sky high, and now it's coming back into because we had that K uh, recovery, K shape recovery. They're not willing to do it until that K becomes more of a W again. And once it does, I think they're ha- they'd be happy then to again. This is conspiracy theory. I'm going back to conspiracy theory because the big pension pots, and like you say, you want to get elected. The big pension pots are all in value. They're all in dividend yield bond uh, um, like or stocks that act as an annuity they're they're in that those sort of places and th- that's where the pensions are and if you if you make if you give if you get the pensions in a recession for the next 10 years you're gonna have a lot of poverty in the elderly and you're gonna have a lot of poverty in the voters and that will be a problem for your party, whoever is in right now. And that would be that would be my theory on that. That would be mine. I think Steve had something else. 
I don't have much else. I mean, I was hearing something that was slightly running the other way towards that in the sense of thinking... So Biden in uh, the White House at the moment has, of course, midterms coming up in two, uh, coming up, two years into his kind of presidency. And it appears to be kind of a matter of sort of historical fact that presidents tend to sort of slip back a little bit in their midterms, uh, not without exception. But in general, uh, you have more power earlier on in your kind of tenure. So if you want to get stuff done, if you want to bring in a new tax on um, gains or income or dividends or whatever, uh, you need to do that early if you're uh, Biden. And I wonder whether there's a case of not wanting to overload everything on in one go alongside an interest rate hike. But that's highly speculative. I mean, that's taking some facts and then having a wild leap at them uh, in my case. Yeah, you've surprised us with that question there. But what do you think then? What's your answer? Go on, back at you. What's uh, your answer? Well, I, I think it, it's inevitable, isn't it, that they're going to have to raise interest rates. So I think, the, you know... It's it's one of those sort of short term pain, long term gain kind of things. So mm. I think press the press the button, get them raised. Well, one thing that well, yeah surprised oh, yeah, me a little the bit off. was hmm. gone. Mm. I'm surprised at this talk of inflation a little bit. I mean, I'm not surprised that in the sense of I always thought inflation talk was going to have to happen sooner or later, but I'm surprised it's happening now. I mean, at the mm. moment, inflation is looking like it's higher than it probably is because. One way of comparing or one measure of comparing inflation compares it year over year on the price of things. Well, it's about a year ago that oil was priced at minus $40 a barrel or so. It's actually while I was away over the last couple of weeks that that kind of crossed over a year or so. And look, compared to minus $40 a barrel, inflation is running rampant. Um, <laughs> but that was kind of weird and likely to kind of skew the data a little bit. So I'd have thought that, um, look, there would be a good amount now of making kind of that point if you really like saying oh, we're not even thinking about thinking about thinking about inflation or however many thinking Ooh, about I like it. in Powell's stuff. Oh, someone's been uh, watching Jerome Powell. <laughs> That's a good quote. I like no. that. No. Okay, so I'm nicking <laughs> this off of um, not Jerome Powell, I should say. I've been watching Mohamed Alarian uh, here, oh. who feels as though uh, the Fed are somewhat cornering themselves here by saying, look, we're not even thinking about thinking about thinking about. He thinks they kind of need to start accepting that they are at least thinking about thinking about um, yeah. inflation and interest rates and so on and so forth, which I believe uh, Steve might know this better than me, but is it um, the Canadian national banking system that has said, yeah, we're going to start easing rates up. We're going to start tapering out some of these kind of low rates. Um, yeah. The ECB, I think, has said it's not going to. Not, and Alarion was urging... Yeah, Alarion's urging the US to not get behind Canada, to go Canada's way rather than Europe's way, basically, in this kind of thing. And look, accept there's a thing here that needs dealing with and um, stop kind of just telling people everything is fine. I was surprised mm. to see that happening now because it felt to me like there is an excuse waiting there if you were wanting to make excuses. Like, sure, we're comparing to last year. And of course, the price is mad compared to last year because the price last year was mad. Yeah. Mm. I wanted to, I, I found an article today, actually. Uh, it was the old Bank of England chair. And he used to say, one of his big things, he was going through the, uh, uh, the recovery from the 2008 crisis. And he said that every time something happened, whether there was a war in the Middle East, he was, people would start talking about inflation. And he called them the inflation nutters. And it was just, he said it was every year, every single year, because inflation has been so low since, oh, Jesus, the 80s? Or probably, no, probably early 90s now, isn't it? That, that, because the 80s was massive and it, it took quite a steep decline over 10 years. Um, he started talking about the, these inflation nutters. So maybe. The chatter that we're all going on, and I'm and I'm the same. I'm I'm going into this as well because I'm going to be releasing a video on inflation probably tomorrow. Um, he he said that it's all crap. It's just the same thing. It's just simple news. Like we shouldn't be bothered because since the 80s we've never had a rise to 14 percent like it was in 1980, and we probably won't ever get that again. <laughs> that's a that's a very strong point to to go out and say. But that's what he said. And he he said everyone calls for inflation after any any massive event. So this is no news. It shouldn't matter. And maybe the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, maybe Jerome Powell, Janet Yellen, they are right that 
yes there will be inflation but it won't be over two it won't be over three percent or it won't start heading to four percent six percent eight percent hyperinflation like it used to be in the 80s it's more probably just going to be two percent and then when it does get to two percent we'll just raise the interest rates again and everything will be normal everything will be fine and fluffy and no one will no one will like really be harmed by it which might be right which might be right it depends the thing is that, no one I likes to deny it yeah, I guess they want everyone back to work, don't they? You keep seeing that figure pop up, the jobs report, and it's between about 800,000 and a million. And I guess the idea is, is that you probably don't want a million people defaulting on the mortgage. So I guess mm-hmm. pop up the economy, get at least three quarters of them back to work, and then, you know, throw the rest to the wolves, get the interest rate up. Yeah, that could that could really be a problem. So out of those five rules, because we've just done a ridiculous amount of talking since we've talked about them five rules are there any of them five rules and please remind everyone of the five rules again are there any of them five rules that you disagree with anything so um top top dog and first mover uh, sustainable competitive advantage winners win um good management smart backing and strong band so i like them all essentially i'm gonna mm. say that there's there isn't actually any that um that i i dislike the one that gives me the most concern is winners win and the mm. idea behind that is that um, David Gardner says that he won't buy anything like on day dot. He wants to see the share price appreciate. That's part of his analysis. He wants to see it go up twofold or threefold before he'll buy it because it means that there's interest in the stock's performance as a business and as a stock. So he's not interested in a business that's going to be a $20 business that does 50% growth and ends up being a $22 business. He mm-hmm. wants there to be, you know, rabid, in it, ra, rabid is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rabid interest yeah. in the business. So when it when it posts good numbers, it goes up. When it posts good news, it goes up. That's part of his sort of rule breaker philosophy. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I I I think there is something in that because I think I've even spoke about that before, where I've kind of gone and I've talked about old stocks that have, have gone up or people that are really really interested in X stock, Y stock, whatever is there's plenty of time there's there's plenty of time to get into these stocks you don't have to get in on day one because eventually there you know there might be a pullback that you can jump into and is that what he talks about does he talk about is he specifically going on up and pullback and then maybe buying in or is it more no. that you you're buying on the compounding effect of you know say you're buying in the old 3m style compounder stock not, not, not exactly. No. So he, his philosophy is to observe and then mm-hmm. to add to for, for for a long time. He he wants to be in after everyone else, and yeah. he wants to be be in for longer than anyone else. Yeah, that um, makes so, so much he, sense. He will buy something, and providing it it performs and it keeps churning out the numbers, he will hold it forever. Yeah, um, and he'll talk yeah. about things like um, you know Mercado Libra. He waited until it was in its mid hundreds before he bought it. It was a nine dollar stock when he first came across it. He waited for it to get to a hundred, then he bought it, and it's what twenty bags since then, nearly. <laughs> yeah, that's, so. that's in, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, when when would be the question? Because if you're not buying it at nine, why, why are you buying it at a hundred? So that's that's scary. Genuinely, that's this scary. is. That's the kind of thing that I worry when people on our Discord say, because I struggle to make sense of that in my head. I mean, I people occasionally say things that sort of add up to, yeah, I don't really like this stock at $25. I'm going to see what it does. And if it goes up to 28, I'm going to buy it at 28. And I sort of think to myself, well, if you're going to buy it tomorrow at 28, buy it now at 25. Um, <laughs> nothing's going to happen apart from a stock price move. There's no earnings in between these or anything like that, right? So... Uh, to me, that just makes no sense, which is why I love this from Steve as a rule-breaking thing, because it <laughs> sounds ridiculous uh, at face value. But sorry, back to you, Paul. <laughs> no, uh, you make you make sense there, but I think what you're thinking about is more on short term, and what Steve D is saying, and uh, what the rule is itself is long term. He's he, he's he's speculating, not speculating on a trend, because he's got historical evidence that there is a psychological. Uh, yearning towards that stock if if you will and and he's he's playing the trend there to a point but he is seeing yeah, that he's a momentum on the investor, map. isn't he yeah yeah he's, well, he's, 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 just... he's, that, that section is momentum investing 
Yeah. But he also says, like, um, two of the rules that he attaches onto that one, so they're like sub rules, really, uh, that he will only ever add to a winner. He doesn't add to losers. So he does no average in Dalm. Um, mm. And uh, if, if a company starts to lose and its earnings slow or get past an area that he doesn't like, he puts them in the penalty box. And all that means is he doesn't buy it anymore. This can't be one of your sell rules, it. can it, Steve? No, I don't have a penalty box because... It You've would got be, 21 reds, my... you wouldn't be able to buy anything. <laughs> It'd have all my stocks in it at the moment. Yeah, your whole, te- your whole team's gone... Well, no, both teams on your on your side have gone red cards now. Like, you got yeah, pretty, pretty much oh. all my value stocks are saving me at the moment. <laughs> oh wow! Well, yeah, it well, would it be is... good to have a penalty box on 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 trading two on two. I'd just put all of my stocks in it and then hide it and then never look at it again. <laughs> I would love, I would absolutely love that to to like have something where maybe the missus keeps a password because I've got because I've got a speculative <laughs> growth growth portfolio at the moment where it's like holy shit i'm 50 percent down on some of these stocks and i bought them as a joke like some of like alpine four i bought it as a joke because i was like right the jokes on someone- you yeah well that's it I-, I said it to someone i said it to someone else today i was like i bought all these stocks as just pure jokes as some as i bought the i bought alpine four because someone just like said it to me out, out of the blue and i said okay i'll test the theory and i'll do it 50 60 percent down and i can't ever see me recovering that the way the business is going i will hold it i'll hold it forever just because i can uh, and because i've got the means to do that but the rest of the stocks like grow generation bought it because someone was banging on so when someone's really aggressive to me about a stock i'll i'll buy it just for the laugh and uh, like grow generation they were talking about cannabis so i went through cannabis and went i'll buy one and i went for grow generation because i thought mm, this is the safest one <laughs> that's basically what i did um but yeah oh man i wish i could hide that i wish i could go uh, get the missus to just take it with a password and i'll never see it again i'll come back in 20 years and we'll just see where it's at i'll see where transmedic's at i'll see where nanox is at Although I wouldn't be able to get away with Nanox with, with you guys around, always telling me about how awesome it's going to it's doing this week, and Transmedics as well will will probably do well. But I've got loads. Not this, not this week. No, well, I tell you what, I bought <laughs> I bought Agronomics and it just keeps going up. <laughs> the soccer is going up. It's it must be worth nearly four hundred million now, and it's got a 27 million investment in it. Um, Agronomics is like a it's um. It's an investment firm which is investing in future meat, so lab-grown meat. It's got loads. It's, it's got one leather company, so a company that reckons it can grow billions of yards of le- uh, leather a week, um, all from from a from a lab. So th- there's loads of there's loads of these little companies in it. Twenty-seven million. It's um, it's invested in these companies, and I think it's got a ridiculous market cap in comparison to that now. And I'm just like. I don't want to buy anymore, but it keeps going up. It really does. I must be 28% up on it right now. And that's just in a week. So uh, I'm sure it will come back down. I'm sure people will get very anxious about it again, but I, I can't add to it. I really want it. Anyway, uh, so those are those are more the five newer, I would say they're newer investment thesis, theses, theses, not theses, theses. We said that already. Uh, those, <laughs> those, um, those are those are newer and recently berkshire hathaway had its meeting and the the jury's out the jury jury is definitely out on that one with people very much arguing did you see berkshire twitter did anyone see berkshire twitter of just like people you had some guys going oh my god it was so amazing these guys like really know what they're doing and then oh the innovators just went to town out of touch uh absolutely crazy they don't know what they're doing they don't know how to invest in the future i'm sure buffett and munger have had these things but is there any rules that you would say that buffett and munger have that may may or may not really stand the test of time anymore or is it true is value over and now it's innovation that's that's what's going forward now one of the things i wasn't um, see, Buffett, Buffett and Munger are great to listen to. Uh, I mean, not so much recently because they do take an awful long time to say anything. <laughs> yeah, it's um, like, it's like uh, bedtime with Granddad. It's just it's taking yeah. so long to get anything out. And really, they, the only they've got th- 
The only thing that's good about that meeting is Becky Quick, and like that's about that's about it. You just spend your spend your time just listening to her, and then they reply, and you go, okay, let's cut back to her now. I was thinking they're like, I really um, like Becky Quick. like Abe Simpson, aren't they? Like yeah. always telling the kids a story about like somebody asks a question like, "Oh, do you think this is a good stock?" And he's like, "Well, let me tell you about a story about oh. when I bought my first pair of pajamas." <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> "But it always point, ends up being, it always ends up being a brilliant story." But yeah. it's just you know. But one of the things that did sort of like irk me is that they always have ran with the motto that they should they should know more about the opposite side of the argument, or basically not. Not talk about it, and sort of having Buffett and Munger talking about crypto is a bit funny. I thought, and and they were quite. Uh, Buffett dodged it, didn't he? He pretty much yeah. said, "Well, oh, getting involved," but Munger just went like went to town on it. And I, I don't think Munger understands crypto. Well, I think uh, he does. Uh, yeah, he doesn't understand crypto. Yeah, well, if that's the case, then they have their motto, don't they? Don't. They only argue with things that you know the other side of. Always be open to the possibilities of you being wrong. And I think in that situation, Buffett did do it because Buffett dodged the question. He said, I think he actually said, I'm going to doze the question. So it's nice that he's got his finger on the pulse a little bit, right? And um, But he was happy to go, okay, I'm not going to alienate people who do believe in it and or who who do understand it better than he does because i think he does fully understand that i don't think he has an opinion on it obviously but he 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 wouldn't win a debate in it i don't think monga though monga is getting so angry in his old age like he's he saw his um daily journal meeting he just went to town he doesn't give a shit he's just saying what everyone he has kind of always been like that but he's got he's got more of an undertone of hate now and uh, mm. on crypto he basically just said well it anything uh, it's bad for society and this is paraphrasing obviously it's bad for society and anything that um benefits drug dealers and murderers uh is is bad for society and i was like hold on we had this argument in like 2017 like this has been totally debunked now um you can use bitcoin and you can use fiat currency as much as you want to um deal drugs or whatever trust me i know and um <laughs> sorry that was like i just thought i'd throw in a really bad joke just there. just so just so you know Br- briscoe was talking about before we started about live streaming this um and um yeah so so like we've debunked that and, and i think there's been debate after debate over that and he hasn't got past it and he clearly like you say i don't think he understands exactly what is capable uh, uh, what it's capable of and where where it could go and he's not willing he's not even willing to understand it he must read stuff about it he he sits in his chair all day reading stuff so why he must know something or he must have been given some information i don't like it I, i i was i was upset that he would give such a such a strong opinion on something that he that he clearly doesn't know a lot about and that's that's kind of where my rule was. I was going to say, especially because previously they've just said, no, we're not interested. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's what I expect from me, that neither of them are interested in crypto. And I wouldn't expect either of them to be interested in crypto. And yeah. I think what what Buff did was the was the real answer from, from the two. It was just like, well, well it's not for us. We, we, we don't understand that. that. It's not something we would buy in the same way that they wouldn't buy gold, excusing mm. the barrack buy. Yeah, uh, but they did let something really interesting slip, which was who's going to be the next chairman. Yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, is that good or bad? I bet Steve W's got an opinion on that. On I, I, I think it's it? highly uns. No, it's going to be Greg uh, in yeah. charge. I think. Am I right about yeah, that? That's right. So yeah. he's currently the uh, chair of all non-insurance operations. Agit looks that's after right. insurance, basically. Uh, I don't think that's a tremendous surprise for what it's worth. Greg was on the stage with Warren last year. Um, when uh, Charlie was not moving because that was right in the depths of the pandemic and that was sort of fair enough. Um, I think he's probably kind of Berkshire through and through. Succession is obviously very important in places like Berkshire where they have a distinctive kind of culture. So just the way they do things and the way they like to do things is just drastically different to so many other places. I mean, given the chance, for instance, 
they will not tell people what they're buying unless they absolutely have to, to the point that they asked for permission to not disclose Chevron, not disclose Verizon. Um, if that was Kathy Wood, you would know that she'd bought it the day that she bought it. Um, and that's fine. That's uh, nothing wrong with that way of doing business, but it's very much not the Berkshire way of doing business. They like to do things quietly and they like to do things without noise. And increasingly, I get the impression from both Buffett and Munger, they're kind of take it or leave it, uh, as it were. They sort of think, look, if you're a shareholder who wants people to uh, do things to push your stock price along or pay you a dividend or anything like that, absolutely no problem. Go away and buy REITs or ARK or whatever else you're going to go and buy in this kind of situation. Berkshire is this distinctive kind of vehicle here in a certain way. In the case of Charlie Munger talking about crypto, and I sort of felt this especially at his Daily Journal thing, and I think it may also be true of the Berkshire Hathaway thing. I mean, do you sort of think he's playing to the gallery a little bit? I mean, no one's asking Charlie Munger a question about crypto thinking... Uh, I don't think he's going to get angry. Or I mean, they're thinking it's thinking. Uh, let's give him a poke and see if we can make him say something funny, aren't they? Hmm. Yeah, everyone knows what the answer is going to be, don't they? And that and that's you're right. Yeah. Everything. No one expected it to come out. And, well, I, I own I own four billion in Doge. <laughs> they're expecting yeah. to come or I, out. Or I'm that. stoically indifferent towards the whole cryptocurrency thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, it's a shame that he wasn't able to go. Okay, but I, I suppose they feel like they have to have um, an opinion on this because they're being asked and they're being watched. It's very, very easy to be dragged into that, to have to have an opinion on something once you're being asked by hundreds of thousands of people and you've got a whole sort of, uh, you, you've got a share price backing on uh, banking on your every word. So yeah, maybe it's maybe he just felt like he had to say something, and he was fed up of being asked. Don't, let's not forget that. He's fed yeah, up I bet you that's something to do with it. Can, yeah. can we just call back quickly to to Greg? Is there something yeah. that happened there that that just just irked me a little bit, and it's just interested in your two's opinion in it? It's like, obviously Buffett and Munger of like sort of stunning longevity in business, and you know Buff has mentioned that he may retire, which was which was kind of odd um, recently. I think Munger and Buff, you know, whatever happens, happens. But they they said uh, when they leave that they they were interested in the continuation of that longevity, and I think that was one of the reasons why they were looking at like Ajit Jain is sixty nine. I think they said, yeah, uh, in the in the meeting. So he's obviously not a choice for longevity because you would assume that he is thinking about retiring or close to retirement. Hmm. But then they talked about Greg who is 59 taking over and they were saying that he will offer that longevity. But you think to yourself, like, I wonder if Greg's being consulted about this because at 59, I ain't thinking about longevity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm thinking about yeah. six. He's obviously paid a whacking salary because he runs pretty much all of Berkshire. At 59, I wonder if he sort of looked at them as if to say like, whoa, whoa longevity, I'm doing six or seven years and I'm <laughs> done. <laughs> so uh, I, I, was, I watched a few on this and the first one to speak on Ajit, some people did say, oh, Ajib might be the one that's, that's getting it. And what they immediately did is they said, okay, Ajib's uh, 70 and he looks more sick than, than Warren Buffett does. That's what, that's what basically a lot of people said. They said the quality of his health looks as bad as Warren Buffett does when they're 90. So they're saying like, if Adji gets it, oh my god, there ain't much longevity there because he could be dead before Warren Buffett's dead. That's what that was the first thing that I saw. Uh, secondly, uh, Greg, uh, I think you're wrong there. I think that Berkshire Hathaway, it, you're talking about the culture. You're talking about this cult, this Berkshire Hathaway culture, and they have got people in there as uh, I don't know what the term to think of it, it is. These people have. A different mindset to maybe you or I who want to retire at 50 and and get out of the rat race these guys aren't in the rat race they are born and bred for this they want this they want to be um, uh, lifelong investors they want to be in in the game for as long as possible and they want that adulation that's why Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are still there right because they love it still and maybe that's what Greg has in mind like he's not going to stick for six, I think it's, six years. He's got the same mindset. I think it's a fair point that if Greg Abel wanted to retire, he could do it now. 
Um, I yeah. mean, he, he's made enough money for the last few years to do that kind of thing. But I do also think it's a fair point that if we think that Warren and Charlie move on um, and then are not around, i.e. they kind of just die rather than retire and aren't available anymore, something then when Greg takes over will go wrong, because it always does in companies um, like Berkshire. Difficult questions will come and he won't be able to have the kind of slightly flippant attitude that both Warren and Charlie have, which is a look we just know best. This is how we do things. And like it or not, and a lot of people don't, but they have undeniably made a lot of money um, in these kind of things. Mm. They've been extremely successful in doing what they're doing. Uh, Greg Abel doesn't have the same kind of gravitas. Whether he should or not is another question. But I don't see him getting away with the media hanging on his every word, even if his Mm -hmm. words aren't really even saying anything like they do with sort of Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett says something, it doesn't really mean anything much, especially at the meeting from last year, and then journalists are trying to work out, well, look, this is the word of God, how do we interpret this? Uh, Greg (laughs) Abel says something, it doesn't make any sense. People will say, Berkshire has gone to the dogs, um, get financial investing Jeremy to run the place instead. Um, Maybe not that last bit. Yeah, you you might be, <laughs> you might be right there. You might be right that that Greg isn't going to have that that uh, the meme that's been going around is the two old muppets. They're, they're, the two old muppets go. Oh, 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 that's the meme that's going around, and that's how you see them. You you take what they you take what they say, and you and you accept you accept what they say. But now Greg Abel is going to come in, and he's going to be that new era of CEO where they're just generally apologetic for everything. Right? They've got to be apologetic for when. The, the 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 stock price does bad that month that month and they've got and they've got to sing its praises when when it's not and like you say Warren Buffett can just get away with like trust the process just trust the process you've trusted it for 50 years trust it trust it a little bit longer and I don't know maybe maybe Greg Abel is going to stand on the stage at the Berkshire Hathaway meetings with a Ouija board and just go Mm, okay, Warren Buffett is telling me <laughs> to feel his presence thinking, in the room. <laughs> he might be like when The Rock went back to wrestling. They're like, finally, I've got the job. I've been here 100 years. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, something like that. All right. Um, I'll tell you what, we've we've been through a lot there. We've we've talked a lot. Uh, we won't do anything else. We, we will... <laughs> save our stocks for next week or something so we'll call the po- we'll call the podcast there we've we've had a laugh um i don't still don't know where zach was uh, that i, I do went past he my, has messaged gone. me oh has he zach okay has, zach has had migraine related uh ramadan issues right. and he has slept oh, okay. through an alarm unfortunately so he has messages ah, to enough. apologize fair but enough. it's not good enough so anyway if you want to be the fourth member of the podcast apply at playing footsie <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah, we need it. We need it. We need another guest. We need it. We need a standard guest anyway. Thank you very much for listening to everybody. You can listen to this podcast on YouTube with the video bit. You can listen on audio to Spotify, Apple, Google, and Audible. Yay. Thank you very much uh, for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Should have done call to actions. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up.